Hey everybody, welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we have an awesome guest. His name is Steve James from the Guru Viking Podcast. So welcome on, James. Uh, Steve. Thank you, James. <laughs> yeah, Steve and James. Um, <laughs> now, uh, for anybody listening, if you're interested in anything uh, that has to do with uh, meditation, mindfulness, and even consciousness, um, I would highly recommend uh, Steve's podcast, the Guru Viking podcast. Um, it's, it's, I, in, in my opinion, it's one of like the best about meditation podcasts out there. Uh, so you do some great work with that, man. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Um, and you know, for anybody who's interested in, in psychic phenomenon, I, you know, I don't know if Steve here would go so far, but I, I would go so far as to say that if you're interested in psychic phenomenon or high strangeness, um, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with meditation, uh, which is something we're going to get into later in the podcast. Uh, but just for the listeners, uh, Steve, you know, uh, who are you? <laughs> who is the guru Viking? <laughs> yeah, I live on a boat in the UK. Actually, that's what you can see if you're watching on video. Sometimes if people see this video, they think, where, are, where is he? Is he in a shed or is he in some basement? <laughs> Actually, I'm on a canal boat. In UK, we have these... Uh, man-made uh, waterways that and they used to, they have these narrow boats it's six foot ten wide actually <clears throat> and 59 foot long my one but there's different lengths and they used to be have a little cabin and then a big area for cargo and things and they were dragged up and down the canal system by ponies actually along what they call the towpath they call it the towpath because it used to be how these ponies and horses i guess uh, would tow the boats along but now people live on them. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, so man. That's, that's where I live. You're the first person I've seen on uh, on one of these boats. But uh, I, you know, I found you actually on YouTube, um, uh -huh. and it was th through your your video with Daniel Ingram. Uh, and you know, that was an a, a great interview. Uh, I, I recommend people check it out. Um, but how'd you get the name Guru Viking? Well, it's you know, I'm not a guru or a Viking. That's the first thing that should be uh, made clear. It's kind of, it's a little tongue in cheek. It's a little, maybe a little bit of British humor. Um, the podcast is not uh, a spoof podcast. For example, the website's not a spoof website, but on the other hand, you know, I think a little bit of uh, humor and light and lightheartedness. Uh, anyway, it's part of my personality. And so that's where it came from. Of course, Viking, because I have a big red beard and I live on a boat. And so that's where that comes from. And I grew up on the Shetland Islands, which is a kind of Viking uh, kind of place in the north. And um, Guru, of course, because of the themes of the podcast, which are to do with, as you said, meditation, uh, spirituality, uh, contemplative uh, disciplines, and even we stray into academic things. And indeed, as you've mentioned, we do also talk sometimes about psychic uh, phenomena or special powers, like cities, they're called in Sanskrit, cities, special powers that are said to be possible to cultivate either as a passive effect of meditation or indeed some systems suggest one can actively cultivate specific cities or powers. So I sometimes ask my guests about that, where their work or where the conversation, uh, you know, gets into that kind of area, states of high concentration, for example, um, where we're looking at uh, ritualistic um, magic uh, and so on that uh, that, that, that occurs, for example, one guest on the podcast, uh, Dr. Ben Joffe, an anthropologist. Um, he's based in South Africa now, uh, but he was uh, doing his PhD out of uh, Colorado, I believe. And he uh, studied, his PhD was about the, the Nagpa, the white uh, clothed Sangha, the white, the Nagpa. And um, anyway, perhaps some of your viewers know who they are who they are and perhaps not but they have a re many reputations but one of them is uh, as being sorcerers and having the ability to, to use knack to use mantra to wield them in powerful ways and so on so anyway it, it, when i'm talking to a guest like that for example yeah of course things of, of that nature uh, will sometimes come up that might be of interest um, you know to your listeners mm -hmm. Yeah, and also, you know, Daniel Ingram, he's been on there quite a few times. He, oh, yeah. he will sometimes talk about uh, the cities or the powers um, that, that comes up often, whether you're talking about, um, you know, mythology or, or, you know, it's actually within these people's, um, you know, within 
I guess, those traditions and philosophies, uh, belief systems. Um, so how did, how did you get into uh, to meditation and mindfulness? Well, I, in a certain sense, uh, from a young age was, I suppose, interested in that, in that sort of things, in those sorts of things. I was an altar boy uh, in the uh, Catholic church on this little island of Shetland. And uh, through various reasons, uh, to do with the style of, of the priest there and also to do with um, uh, my mother's uh, influence, I suppose, I didn't get really into the doctrinal side of Catholicism at all. My mother had this uh, phrase, uh, a, pri a quiet faith, a private faith. She had this idea of the mass being a sort of place, the mass being the ritual of a kind of contemplation in a way, quiet contemplation, private. So often I think when people think of organized religion, uh, it's sort of a bunch of people getting together to celebrate that they all agree on thinking things the same way, you know, they have shared doctrines and so on. But that wasn't the uh, case for, for whatever reason, this confluence of reasons in my particular upbringing. I mainly participated in it as a sort of ritual. And the altar boy, perhaps your viewers will know, uh, walks around uh, doing, <laughs> carries candles and carries cups and so on and so forth. And it's preordained. It's a, a, a choreographed ritual. And so I really loved that. And I found in the choreographed movements of that over, over quite some years, uh, access to a, a sort of, I suppose you could say spiritual or uh, contemplative or quiet kind of transcendent almost um, dimension with various different states. Also, at the same time, around the age of five, I uh, started practicing karate. Yeah, yeah. And we did meditation there as well. Um, we, you know, would be sparring and doing things and getting very tired out. And then suddenly we would sit down in Cesar, which is the word they have there for kneeling. And we'd sit down in a kneeling position and we'd try to do various breath control things when we're, you know, already laboring for breath and et cetera. Or we'd hold postures for, you know, extended periods of time. I mean, probably only a couple of minutes, but when you're five or six, it feels like, you know, you're in a Jean-Claude Vatin movie. And yeah. I totally love that. And so I'd read all of lots of things about martial arts and I was super into it. And from there, of course, naturally one discovers um, uh, Asian uh, religious systems and philosophies like Taoism and Buddhism and Hinduism and so on. And then naturally, of course, one reads about meditation methods, etc. So I had an interesting uh, early exposure, I suppose, uh, to that uh, way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, was there a particular um, system that you started out with? like uh, Zen or anything? Well, I'd, I suppose really Christianity. Okay. I suppose um, if, if we are talking about systems, yeah. uh, that system. Now, there are contemplative strands in Christianity. There, there are contemplative uh, orientations, meditation techniques and approaches and so on. Uh, but I don't think they're emphasized uh, a great deal in, in most people's experience of Christianity, uh, say if they grew up in a Christian context, not often is this contemplative aspect em emphasized. At least that's what I've uh, uh, found talking to all kinds of people, you know, many of my guests actually who go on to become Zen priests or, you know, Buddhist lamas or Hindu this and, you know, Taoist masters and so on. Many of them, of course, are growing up in America and Europe. Uh, did grow up in a Christian context, and they they yearned for that contemplative, they, they, you know, they, they found their Christian context to be just rules and hypocrisy and you know all the bad things about organized religion, and so they went looking for something deeper, you know, something more, uh, I suppose, uh, mystical or contemplative. Christianity has that, but it's uh, it's sometimes rather well disguised. Let's put it that way for various historical reasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because even, you know, I'm, I guess, you know, I was raised uh, Roman Catholic. And um, I mean, for, I mean, maybe in my area or wherever the places that I went, it was, uh, it was more kind of, it felt more like a routine kind of thing. Um, I mean, yeah. when you, I think when you go into any kind of church or holy place, you can feel there's a difference. Um, but you know, overall, you know, I definitely didn't learn any of the contemplative stuff <laughs> through uh, Catholicism. 
Um, but I, you know, not, you know, in retrospect, uh, I could see what could be utilized in that way that wasn't obvious at that age or wasn't really taught as part of that tradition. Um, but, uh, you know, just to uh, segue a little here, you know, this is somewhat of a UFO podcast. Um, do you have any, did you ever have any exposure to the UFO subject? Growing up, you mean? Growing up or, yeah, yeah. Or in general, yeah. Or, you know, your general impressions, maybe? Well, of course, movies, just like everybody else, I suppose. Yeah. And um, I think uh, occasionally meeting people like yourself, for example, who are uh, very well read and very well informed about the subject. So sometimes I've heard about it uh, through that uh, means. I haven't myself done a very deep study on it, I must confess. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, not everybody is kind of specialized in their own areas. I just, my own experience happened to stumble across this, you know, for my own reasons and that, you know, that took me down that path. Um, did, now, did, um, have you been aware over there uh, on your boat <laughs> or uh, you probably haven't been traveling much because of uh, current circumstances, um, but of some of the ongoing news that's been going on in the media? Yeah, I am aware of recent reports. We're recording this in August 2021. So I'm aware of reports in the last, I guess, three or four months, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little longer of uh, more mainstream reporting of uh, UFO, un unidentified objects, and um, apparently US government releasing various things. I've heard about that. I haven't looked at it in detail, but I have been aware of it. It's been in the mainstream narrative, I think, uh, a, a little bit more prominently. Would you would you say that's fair? Uh, a million percent. And actually, over here in the US, it's like, uh, you know, it's they're like beating it over our heads, kind of. Uh, U.S. I mean, it used to be like you'd see kind of like a funny UFO article or or coverage on the news, you know, a few times a year. And now it's it's kind of weird if there's not a UFO story printed every day. Really? Um, yeah. It's and you know it's it's had it's had waves. Like right now, it's on it's kind of on a slow thing after the uh, UAP task force report uh, was released. Um, but since 2017. Um, you know, some guy came out, Lou Elizondo, and he said, you know, I was the director of the of the Pentagon's secret UFO program. And I mean, all, all, all evidence pointed in that direction that hit the New York Times. And there's been a cascade effect ever since. Hmm. Um, so, you know, just on, you know, obviously, um, for, for many of us, again, like you said, we, we have seen all these movies over the years, when we hear UFO, a lot of times we think of like an alien intelligence or or some kind of what they call other, right, or non-human intelligence. Um, what when you when you see the UFO subject and how it's being presented today, what are your what are some of your um, thoughts on it? You know. Well, like I said, I I do think it's a very fascinating subject, but it's not one that I have looked into in any great depth. Uh, off the top of my head, what I am aware of is I know that there are different theories. Yeah. Uh, yeah that yeah. now, I mean, you should really tell me the answer to this question because you know about it. But uh, from but I'll say I'll say something and then maybe you can correct me. Um, I from what I understand, there are different theories. Uh, of course, there's aliens, you know, coming in flying sources and so on. I guess that's a standard idea. Or uh, some people I think talk about trans-dimensional beings or beings from different times, or uh, so that wouldn't necessarily be from somewhere else in the sense of uh, another planet. It could be from just different dimensions or something or different times in this planet. I've heard these ideas yeah. uh, around. I've also heard ideas about um, more advanced technology uh, actually available to human beings that is not yeah. widely known about and uh, et cetera. And so that's that could explain some of the uh, sightings, some of the reports and so on. Uh, what other things have I heard? You know, people living in the center of the earth and stuff. I mean, I've heard. Um, yeah, you've heard. heard the the mill. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm revealing myself to be something of a muggle here. What's can no, you? No, it's. Good. I mean, it's good. I'm. You know, I'm. I'm happy to bring you into this conversation. And you know, it's. I. I mean, I like talking to people, especially people in the mindfulness community. Like, what are some of their thoughts are? Or how 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 they're looking at the subject, kind of from the outside. Like, you know, what what's going on, uh, with this UFO news? So, the the first one you mentioned is kind of. I want to say it's, it's the most. It's the first thing people jump to, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So that's basically aliens coming here on ships. Um, because in this time period, we can kind of relate to the idea. We're off going into space ourselves now. Um, so that's, I, I'd say that's the most popular, um, that's the most popular belief. If, if, if somebody is to believe that UFOs are real, I'd say like 80% of people believe that it's like extraterrestrials coming in here in spaceships. Um, but the funny kind of thing about that is actually most people in the UFO community, like that are researching it, uh, don't think that in, in hmm. some senses. So you'd think like they're kind of like the, the biggest supporters of that idea. But uh, I think when people take a closer look and you look at some of the cases and the high strangeness, um, they, they are explaining some, some things that are occurring that it, it doesn't even seem like extraterrestrial in some of the things that they're doing because they're going you know through walls and you have the psychic phenomenon and and the the, the uh, objects appear and they disappear and they seem to go through dimensions so to speak um but you know there there is um within the ufo community there's a ton of debate there's, there's no kind of like one thing where you can say like kind of everybody agrees on this the only thing that most people do agree on is that there's a unknown phenomenon that exists. And I, I would say most people probably agree uh, as far as researchers uh, that it's probably not human made technology. So it's a, another form of intelligence currently engaging with us, um, which is pretty fascinating. Um, and that's you know kind of why I wanted to get into some of these other subjects with you. Um, because, uh, you know, even in, in different um, mythologies and, and philosophies, uh, you know, there's talk about in, in many religions of, of humans interacting with, with some kind of non-human intelligence. You know, in, in, in Christianity, you know, they talk about angels, right? And, um, you know, these angels are, are coming to earth and they're interacting with humans. So they're essentially some kind of higher beings. Um, and I have a friend, uh, Dr. Diana Pasalka, who actually wrote a book called American Cosmic, and she talks about the, the UFO belief system. And um, it's, it's really interesting how she, she puts that out there. Um, so, um, but oh, one, one of the things I wanted to, to get into with you is like, um, so you have these UFOs, but a lot of times uh, there's close encounters. So there's all these different kinds of close encounters. Um, and you know, a close encounter, another word for it, depending on how close the close encounter is, is contact. And um, you know, I've, I'm somebody who's, who's had these experiences and um, I could say that some of them are like catalysts to awakening, right? Uh, or, or what um, like Daniel Ingram, I call like the insight stages. They kind of, you have an experience like that and um, it opens your mind up and you know, if you, if you look at the, the insight maps, right? Uh, like the rising and passing and all these different things you hear about in, in the contact literature actually. And uh, kind of on a, aside from that near death experiences, right? They kind of, in, in my opinion, they correlate with some of those insight stages. Um, have, you, have you ever come across anything like that? I've certainly heard about things like that, yeah. And um... You know, you're talking about the Bible, and there are all kinds of uh, encounters that do seem to catalyze profound um, spiritual changes or change of conscience or so on, like the road to Damascus experience, of course, is a kind of iconic one, I think. <clears throat> Saul of Tarsus, you know, becomes Paul the Apostle. You know? And uh, that's an example, I suppose. And actually, you're right, in many, many traditions, uh, practitioners mystics are said to interact with different beings now they're usually 
framed, I think, or understood as, uh, you know, water spirits or, uh, or, or extra dimensional, extra dimensional, I don't, I'm not sure if that's the right word or other dimensional entities, maybe I should say, well, I don't know what the technical word would be from another dimension, other dimensional, extra dimensional, interdimensional, extra, I mean, we don't even know, right? So, <laughs> yeah, well, from another dimension, you know, uh, like yeah. spiritual, uh, like force ghosts, basically, you know, like right. Star right. Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that happens too. And um, people in dreams and uh, in, in mystic visions and so on, I'm thinking particularly of, of um, Buddhist uh, scriptures, for example, have lots and lots of that encounters with all these different sorts of spirits. And I think they're generally seen to be, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not really an expert on that topic, actually. So let me not say that. But I'm aware that there's lots of stuff, weird, weird things like that in all the mainline systems that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if, uh, you know, I mentioned Jack Belay before when we were talking. And Jack Belay, he wrote um, a book called Passport to Magonia. Hmm. Uh, well, and number one, they, you know, uh, he sometimes refers to Fatima as a kind of UFO event, um, which it, it's, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that, but there is kind of like a lot of kind of in inclinations to that way. I understand where he's coming from. Um, but Jacques Vallée proposes the idea of, you know, maybe um, all these kind of uh, weird phenomenon, you know, the UFO subject or the UFO phenomenon is just like the most um, recent kind of understanding of what this actual same intelligence is that has been with us the whole time. So that's yeah. a pretty interesting um, way of looking at that. Um, but now kind of to kind of the psychic phenomenon. Um, what, what is your, do you have any experience with like the cities or the powers? I, I don't think so. Uh, of course, I think mo many of us experience synchronicities of various kinds, or you think of somebody and they call and, and things like that. It's hard for me to uh, say with any certainty, you know, how, how much of that's just confirmation bias and so on. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I think for the individual, well, for me, maybe, uh, I think it's a very fascinating area. I've never been especially interested in cultivating the cities. There's that phrase, and I'm, I'm afraid I'll have to paraphrase it, where uh, some yogi or other is saying, well, you know, you can fly through the air and do all these amazing things, all these great cities, you know, but to transform one negative emotion is is the real city, you know. So it's a little. <laughs> yeah, no, I, there, there, there was a really good one actually, um, where this. Uh, I again, I could be messing, I could be botching this up, but there was one um, monk, and he's sitting there for an extended period of time trying to levitate across the stream, and um, he's trying. To, I, I think he said he's going to sit there for for. Uh, like until he's able to to levitate across this the stream over there and then this monk says why don't you just walk over the bridge <laughs> you know kind of saying yeah. like it's you know for what right what's what are you cultivating well, well i think you know uh there are reasons i think legitimate reasons if we accept the possibility of those things there are legitimate i think reasons to cultivate them and I think there are some views. One, one, one view, of course, is yeah, chasing super supernatural or supernormal powers, magical powers of some sort, uh, is a little bit like. Um, I like this idea. I, I heard Shinzen Young, one of my main meditation teachers, put it like this. Uh, you know, we have materialism, right? Materialism, the idea of pursuing wealth or something for its own sake, as if becoming wealthy will or famous or something like that will make you happy in itself. It's not to say that it's not good, that you shouldn't be wealthy and famous or whatever, you know, but if you expect that to satisfy you, fundamentally, if you just got more wealth or more money, then you'd be happier. This sort of misplaced faith in in that means of achieving happiness, as we call it materialism, right? Um, uh, not materialism in the philosophical sense, but in the sort of casual cultural sense, as we call it, you know. And it's also the case, it seems that 
if one pursues spiritual uh, psychic powers and so on for their own sake, um, then as if that's going to do it for you in the same way that somebody else might, you know, covet a Ferrari or something, if only I can have that Ferrari, then I'll be happy. Then you might face the same problem. And it's true that celebrity uh, and rich people, sometimes they say, you know, those rich people, sometimes they're not so happy. Sometimes they are, but they often say the money itself doesn't make them happy. Maybe it allows them certain opportunities to learn things that are, you know, wonderful and all that. But in itself, it's not the thing. There has to, they have to have something else. And I think the great adepts of the past t tend to say something similar. And of course, I can't speak personally as being to being a rich and famous person, uh, because I'm not. I'm neither rich uh, nor famous. But uh, the rich and famous people that we know about, yeah, that's what they say. It's not. You know, it's not. They're all, you know, it's not in itself. It's not it. And so I, I can't speak to uh, having psychic powers and having uh, developed the cities myself. But the wisdom of the traditions tend to say, not that one should trust that automatically. I think one should question that too. But it tends to say, and it kind of makes sense, that if you think that's going to make you happy fundamentally, then you shouldn't, then you're wrong. But does it mean you shouldn't cultivate them? Not necessarily. And one model is you should get you know enlightened or awakened or whatever the model of that tradition is first or at least you know don't uh, make sure to keep doing that keep progressing in that way and then develop those uh, capacities and capabilities in order to be uh, beneficial to others and help others and so on of course a very interesting area is those that seem to and i've met a lot of people like this uh, that those that seem to have these capacities sort of naturally they haven't attempted to cultivate them or you know, like you mentioned, there's they have some life event occurs, some significant, and then they suddenly find that they have these. It seems to them capacities awakened, right? Um, for example, and now that's a different story. What what do you do then? That's like winning the psychic lottery in a sense, and because they didn't try to do that. So right. what happens to lottery winners? Well, lottery winners. They don't have a very good. <laughs> yeah. They have a very good uh, prognosis, because uh, well, for all, I think we all know why. Maybe I won't repeat repeat why. But winning the lottery can really ruin your life if you're not careful. If you can handle it, of course, it's great because now you have lots and lots of money and you can uh, do whatever you like, uh, whatever that might be. You know, I guess sit, sit on a beach drinking cocktails or you know save the world or whatever it is you want to do. Um, but there's no guarantee that just having all that money that could, it could crush you. And it does uh, lottery winners. I think there's a lot of popular studies on that. You know, um, myself, I think I'd still like to give it a shot. You know, I'd still. <laughs> I'd like yeah, yeah, why not, right? Yeah, yeah. But so, um, but I think also having these sorts of things awaken through some crisis experience. I wonder. I'm just speculating now. I think. Well, I'm speculating, and also I'm thinking of people who have talked to me about it. That there, it can actually be quite disturbing, and require quite a lot of integration and quite a lot of sort of training they've got to dig themselves out of a a kind of or put themselves back together or, yeah. or learn to integrate these things it's not exactly you think well wouldn't it be great if i could just do this psychic thing and this city thing and, and maybe if you cultivate that in a certain sense you also cultivate certain structures that allow you to hold it but for those that just have it awakened in them somehow or seem to have that experience oh, i think that's a it can be a different story and uh so I, I guess you know we talk about cities and psychic things. I think on the one hand, uh, they say it doesn't make you happy in the same way that getting rich doesn't make you happy, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't get rich and doesn't mean you shouldn't cultivate them. You just got to know uh, what it's for and what it's not for. It seems to be yeah, the general yeah. idea. And then this other category of people who seem to just win the psychic lottery. What's that like? But I expect you know a lot of people like that. What do, what do you think of what I said? Oh, well, again, you know, I'm somebody myself where um, I had had contact experiences, um, you know, with UFOs, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, but there's also the case of um, this guy named Dr. X in a Jacques Vallée book um, called The Invisible College. And he talks about this French doctor who had this contact experience and it transformed him. And uh, again, he reported after having this contact experience uh that it had awakened kind of like um not only psychic but spiritual like he started having these very deep insights about the nature of reality in the universe right 
uh, and that kind of went hand in hand with um, what he would report as intuition and psychic phenomenon. Um, I personally, I think that uh, most people, I, th I think that most people have uh, psychic experiences to an extent, but are not psychic per se. Uh, so like, I think by happenstance, most people in some point of the, in their lives are going to have maybe even mild um, experiences. Um, if we want to categorize, say, like out-of-body experiences as something of a psychic um, experience, I think probably a lot of a lot of people have probably had an out-of-body experience. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I had them even when I was young. They were very vivid. I didn't know what to make of them, and um, they were completely sporadic. Uh, and that's kind of like the thing where you, uh, as soon as you you know, see your body, you're like, holy crap, that's me. And you just slap right back in that kind of thing, I think might happen to a lot of people. Um, or again, you have the synchronicities. So um, I think that um, it makes sense that uh, probably most people could cultivate it to a, to a minor degree. Hmm. Um, but again, you're going to have superstars. And yeah. uh these superstars that are just like, again, you, you said they hit the psychic lottery um, are, are going to have much more potent experiences probably. And uh, you know, it's the, the United States government actually did a whole investigation into it um, called Star project Stargate. And they were, they took people that they, um, that they, uh, you know, kind of notify they, they were able to see that these people had some kind of intuition or you know they were on the battlefield and they always seemed to be able to avoid danger hmm. and uh, so they took those people in and they wanted to see if there was you know something that they can do and they and they created a whole program around it and actually ran for like 20 years and you know the united states government uh was they they made a, a movie about it actually it's called the men who stare at goats and it's like a comedy and it's based on a real story, kind of like the main the main theme is real, but then they just they made a comedy out of it, right? Um, but the, it's it is true that the, the U.S. government um, tried to study the psychic phenomenon, and uh, it correlated with UFOs. So they had these remote viewers; um, they'd give them target numbers, and they and they try to see somewhere. They wouldn't tell them what they're trying to look for. They would just try to you know, perceive what the, the target was. And they would pick up on these like Soviet Union or Russian submarines with pretty startling accuracy. It was kind of weird. And you're talking about top secret classified programs. So they, they had enough of those where they're like, okay, there's something to this. The, it's, it's beyond chance um, as far as the numbers that, uh, you know, the percentages. Um, but that I think is very fascinating. But a lot of those, those, the really good viewers they had, they'd be doing a thing and then all of a sudden they'd report some kind of uh, UFO, right? So you got a lot of the UFO stuff in there. And then there was um, when the, uh, when the ATIP program came out, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program came out in the public in 2017, uh, what I was telling you about with the New York Times. Uh, one of the things that they were studying was Skinwalker Ranch. I don't know if you ever had ever heard of Skinwalker Ranch, have you? Uh, you know, that does ring a bell. Does that involve, didn't South Park do a spoof on that? To do with cows? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm not sure about <laughs> that. But, but it's a place in Utah. It's this ranch with apparently all this par paranormal activity. Um, you know, uh, every, you know, interdimensional UFOs. And, you know, the government actually spent millions of dollars investigating this, which was kind of funny. Um, but, uh, you know, getting to kind of like we're talking about some psychic phenomenon and some of the powers. Uh, have you ever heard of CE5? Yeah. What are your, yeah. What, do you, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Just a general, your, your general impression just from hearing about it. Well, uh, I, 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 maybe there's something else I can say about the psychic things as well, but, um, but, uh, C5 brief, briefly, I think it's a, uh, protocol developed by Stephen Greer, um, Dr. Stephen Greer, UFO, uh, disclosure figure. Um, 
and as you were telling me before, uh, trained in TM and meditation and so on. And from what I understand, they get together in the wilderness somewhere or out in the desert or whatever uh, like that. And they use uh, meditation techniques to attempt to, uh, I suppose, uh, invite a UFO experience. So from what I understand about the protocol, uh, they imagine where they are, picture where they are, like a Google Maps going up, 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 up like that, uh, as a kind of um, almost like sending a GPS signal out in a, in a way. And yeah. uh, through some means or another, I'm a little foggy about how they contact the, how they said they're going to contact these beings and so on. But they do that. And then um, it can attract, uh, the theory is it attracts UFOs or these experiences. And uh, from what I understand, a lot of celebrities have done, have done it, actually. Yeah, well, and, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, true. It's quite, I think it's quite well known, uh, quite famous. And there's an app. I know there's an app about it and uh there's documentaries about it and he's very famous of course Stephen greer and i yeah, think he's, yeah 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 because actually he started that back in the 90s but um you know there was another group doing that in the 1970s in south america uh called mission rama and they were doing the identical you know they're going out into the wilderness or you know wherever and they're doing meditation you know they're doing fasting uh concentration exercise and uh, they're having, you know, these UFO sightings, you know, coupled with, in their case, different messages. Um, so that that's really interesting. Um, have you ever come across anything that correlates with that in, in the different spiritual traditions? Well, yeah, I think, you know, I think you could make that case. I, you know, one of the interesting things, the point you made earlier that maybe UFOs are just, um, or yeah, another way of representing some kind of phenomena that maybe in the past would have been called angels or demons or nagas and, you know, dern of various sorts, for example. I think that's an interesting, interesting point. And I think the same point could be made for psychic experiences of various kinds. You know, it depends what we considered to be a psychic experience. I think many, many people, as you point out, have gut feelings, intuitions, yeah. a funny feeling about this. In other words, you could say it's they, they it's it's information they don't that they don't know how they got it. Right. Or it's a, it's a feeling or a hunch they have that they, they can't substantiate. So they can't say, well, I can see this piece of evidence and this piece of evidence and that which has led to this conclusion. They just have a feeling, don't go in there. <laughs> don't. <laughs> You know, drink that lemonade or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> and uh, usually the story goes something like, and I did anyway, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, shouldn't, I knew I shouldn't have done that, right? How do they know that? Because there's this intuition. So a lot of people have that, and who knows, you know, what that is. There's an interesting book uh, called Thin Slice by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, no, it's not called that. It's called Blink. Blink by Malcolm okay. Gladwell. I heard about it. I heard about it. And he talks about this idea of, People who are very, very uh, expert at things uh, can can take a lot of information in, uh, and it feels like a hundred intuition. He gives the example of a fireman who just knew to duck, and then suddenly a fireball came over their heads. He had no way of knowing that. Something about maybe the air pressure change, or who knows what. No, nothing he could consciously just decode or decipher. But there was something about uh, so, some, something about his environment, he was able to take in an unconscious way or subconscious way or something like that, and it it gave you know it gave him that impulse to do that. Anyway, um, uh, you know, uh, so I suppose you know it depends really what you mean by psych, you know psychic phenomena. Of course, I've I've met a lot of people who've claimed to be able to see things and know things and hear things and feel things and so on, and channel this and the other. I've met a lot of people like that. Uh, you know, I, I I can't say I've ever. I, I remain open-minded, um, but and interested, actually, very interested. That's one of the reasons I have a podcast is because I'm very interested in people's experiences of that in that kind of direction. It's very amazing, I think. But um, you know, I, I I can't say that I say, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, this, for sure. this is my theory or something. But in in regards to contacting entities through uh, means of meditation ritual, of course, there are lots of uh, I think examples of that. First of all, um, 
Buddhism as, as an example, let's think, I think of Tibetan Buddhism has many, many uh, rituals and that are routinely done to pacify or ameliorate local spirits of various kinds, offerings given to spirits, offerings given to uh, these archetypal deity figures and so on, uh, smoke offerings, for example, um, offerings of you know, bowls of water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that that certainly occurs. Visualizations of various different figures and of ritual offerings or interactions with those figures, or even indeed becoming uh, such a figure, or shim I think of also shamanic um, cultures in which the shaman perhaps becomes possessed somewhat, or or channels in a way various different. Uh, entities, various different spirits, which are specifically identified and channeled. I'm thinking of Mongolian shamanism. I interviewed Glenn Mullen on that subject uh, in one of my podcasts. It was very fascinating how that's done. Or even you mentioned Daniel Ingram. We talked about in one of our interviews about uh, Daniel's not only a meditator, he's also interested in Western occultism. He was talk we, we talked a bit about, um, you know, Goetian magic and Enochian magic and so on. And these are means to contact apparently uh, specific entities from this pantheon if you like or this uh, codex of of entities uh you know like the the, the goetian uh, entities and so on so yeah it seems that now i'm not sure how much in common that has with c5 and its operation particularly because i'm not other than what i just mentioned i'm not so familiar with any more than that about c5 but i think the idea of contacting through means of high concentration or through means of incantation or through means of setting up various different uh, ritualistic uh, environment and ritualistic conditions uh, to contact other beings and for, for, for various purposes. Uh, I, I think it is a, a, a perennial idea, a commonly, a commonly seen idea in the, yeah. in the wisdom traditions. Yeah, it seems to me. Now, um, just out of curiosity, um, the, so, when you were talking about some psychic phenomenon before you you mentioned the book blink and i don't know if it's it's talked about in the book but there's a phenomenon called um perception without awareness are you familiar with that perception without awareness hmm. like you're you're again maybe that fireman was able to perceive something that he didn't understand how he perceived it right but yet he he somehow knew do you think that that's a, a large part of what's accounted for for psychic phenomenon, or do you think that there's something else going on? Um, I don't know. That's definitely the case that uh, Gladwell makes in Blink. He makes the case that, uh, you know, we know a lot of things we don't know why we know them, but it doesn't mean that it, just because we don't know how it is we know them, it doesn't mean that there were not factors in the environment that informed us. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that would be considered psychic. I mean, it's a little bit of a difficult line to define, I think, in a way. Yeah. Um, but certainly, if someone gives you a grid, <clears throat> it's easier to define the extremes. If someone gives you a grid reference, like the people you were mentioning there in the in the uh, in the, that US program, and yeah. you're able yeah. to remote view that reference, I think those sorts of studies. Uh, I forget the guy's name now. Was it? What's the main? What's the, it's a very interesting name that I, quite a cool sounding name. What's the cool sounding name of the guy that was involved in that? Dean Radin or Ingo Swan? Ingo Swan, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But I mean, to be able to do that, I think they set that up in a way that you couldn't, they, they attempted, I presume. It's to, double blind, I mean, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. double double blind it. So, I mean, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, those sorts of, or in Ghostbusters, you know, uh, <laughs> in the beginning of Ghostbusters where, uh, is it uh, Bill? Not Bill Murray. What's the other one? Dan Aykroyd's character is holding up different, you know, symbol oh, cards. The oh, the, yeah. Card. The oh, I forget what they call them. There's a name for the Zenner cards. Yeah, they're called Zenner cards. They're like it has the, one has the waves, one has the star, and uh, they they actually use those um, to practice. Yeah, in and those so I don't know things. what's going on. If, if we even think about tarot cards or things like that, you know, one way of thinking about those is it's a means of stimulating a different perspective in your own mind. So it doesn't, you know, you look at a, tar a tarot spread and you take a perspective based on those spreads. Uh, now, how the practitioner represents that to themselves could vary 
the person might be saying, well, I used a tarot spread to help me think because it allows me new, perhaps even uh, perspectives that I would be resistant to. It forces me to at least consider them, which can give me a, a greater insight into my situation. But there's no, you know, psychic stuff going on. Some people might think that other people might think, you know, the cards speak to me or, um, you know, I have a gift that or you know, that the right cards come out or I have a gift of inter you know, interpretation. Christians often think that God speaks to them, actually, that, you know, the Lord has told me that I'm I'm going to move to Dallas or, you know, the Lord has told has told me that. You know, I need to do more of this in my life or people have those kind of hunches, which they interpret as direct contact from the, the divine. In fact, yeah, is that psychic? Uh, I don't know. Is that the same as a hunch? Um, it, well, they just certainly wouldn't say so. They'd say it's the Holy Spirit, you know, talking to them yeah, and nudging yeah. them and guiding them and so on. Uh, but a psychic might say it's the Pleiades, you know, they're getting like a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some sort of download from the Pleiades or something, you know. So I think the way we represent these things is an interesting, uh, interesting area of discussion. But then what they actually are, um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but there's a lot yeah. of things in life we represent inaccurately uh, because pr pragmatically it works. There's a lot of things that I think we do in life that a lot of beliefs we hold or ways of operating. I'm talking now in a sort of very mundane sense. Right. That if we were to uh, really uh, be pressed on them, we'd admit that they're a sort of serviceable belief. It, it helps to think about things this way. Is it accurate? Not necessarily. It doesn't need to be because it's um, it helps you get through the day or it helps you uh, navigate this or so on. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a superstition. A little bit like that, but I think we all... Uh, do that uh, in a sense, you know, things like it'll all work out, ideas like that, or, yeah. Yeah. you know, we, uh, the, I suppose you could think of it as superstition or magical thinking or irrational thinking or good enough thinking or low resolution explanations that uh, I think it's okay to, I think it's unavoidable perhaps that our narratives that we operate by are not, they're not going to be the same exactly matching precisely reality in that way. There's, there's presumably some flexibility there yeah yeah one of, one of the interesting things i'll, I'll note about uh ce5 oh yeah is that um you know usually uh i mean a lot of events are subjective but with with ce5 there could be an encounter that you know becomes objective meaning multiple people can see it it's not just um the individual perceiving misperceiving something in that sense um, although a group of people could misperceive things as well, uh, that certainly does happen with, with misidentifications, but there are some, some good cases where, um, something occurs and it could be objectively, uh, seen. Um, huh. that's kind of what I like about some of the, um, some of the good remote viewing studies and, and stuff like CE5, cause there's something tangible at the end. Again, you're going to come to the conclusion of, well, I don't know what this is. Um, but it, you know, warrants further investigation. Um, but again, speaking about CE5, one of the, the big things in CE5 is um, meditation. And right. uh, you, you teach meditation, right? Yep. So um, if for the listeners, what, what are, what's like a good meditation practice? Well, it depends on a lot of things. There are many, many different kinds of meditation practices. And there are many different views as to how to categorize them. Some people, for instance, say that all the practices eventually lead to the same place, that they're all going up the same mountain. Uh, to, you know, some people say that a kind of extreme perennialism view. Uh, some people say that they're apprehending different facets of a diamond. So right. even though they arrive at slightly different places, in other words, a different face of the diamond, it is still the same diamond. So if you do practice A, you might get to the diamond, but you see it in a certain way based on your approach vector. But if you do practice B, yes, you'll also get to the same diamond, but perhaps a different face. So your experience yeah. will be different. Your access to its various qualities may be different and so on or whatever. I think that's maybe a slightly more moderate perennialist view. And then of course, we go to the other extreme, which is my way is the best way. 
you know, this practice is the way that does it. All the other ones are either degradations or corruptions or later elaborations that are distorted or just plain old wrong, you know. <laughs> what do you what do you think of that about that view? You think that holds any weight? Um, well, I think views like that, um, I think it returns to what I was saying before. There's two levels of usefulness, well, maybe many more, but one level of usefulness, one, 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 one level of way of evaluating the view is, is it correct or not? Or how correct is it? So those, those are testable claims in theory. I don't know if we can really test the outcome of meditation. Of course, neuroscientists are trying to do that. At, I think a relatively primitive point now uh, right. to try to see the effects, say, in the brain and, uh, for example, uh, and other things. But maybe it might be possible to assess by some uh, objective scientific criteria in the future the, the, the effects of meditation um, at, the various, at their various stages. So until it's possible to test those claims objectively, then I think it's hard. It's basically just somebody really thinks it's true, so therefore it's true. Or they've had some experience, which they, in the classic mistake of the mystic, one has a subjective experience and extrapolates from that objective truth. You know, I, 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 I'm one, I felt like I'm one with the universe, therefore the universe is one. For example, right, those right, two things right, don't necessarily right. follow. Uh, you could be right, but it, it would be more of a guess. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's many other things. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I guess in that case, yeah. Um, there's, um, oh yeah, and then then there's, uh, you know, it's like a lot of things we uh, perceive with total co confidence that are not correct. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I see somebody in my room and I turn the light on and it's just my jacket hanging on the back of my wardrobe, you know. There's an example, if you want, of my confidence, at least in momentary confidence in what I was seeing that turned out upon closer examination not to be true. I mean, this is there are all kinds of this is, I think, enlightenment thinking 101, isn't it? Scientific method 101, really, to test those assumptions. So I think it would be interesting to test those ideas. It could be that one of those extremely fundamentalist views is correct. <laughs> it could be yeah, the case, right, you know, in right, which case. Right. Um, but unfortunately, the, of those fundamentalist views, they all say that. So it's uh, it's not like uh, everybody thinks it's sort of going in the one direction, except for this one guy who says, no, no, I'm the way, you know, that's there's a lot of uh, schools that say, no, we're the real one and the rest yeah. of them are not. So then you have to figure out which of those is the right one. But uh, as a practitioner, um, but anyway, your question. Uh, so I suppose that's one way of evaluating those those claims. Right. Um, yeah, I yeah. think probably a, a, a perennialist, a, a moderate perennialist view makes you more fun at parties. The extremely perennialist view is, seems a little naive. The extremely fundamentalist view um, seems a little uh, uh, a little unlikely, given that there are many people who think that. So you're competing then in with other equally certain people making the same claim. And that doesn't seem to be much way of differentiating those claims. So that seems also maybe, a, so I guess if you had to guess, I think you'd be, you'd be more fun at parties if you said, uh, moderately perennial view we're all going to the same diamond but a different face now i don't think the necessary being at fun at, fun at parties is how you should orient your your life philosophy but what it would give you so i'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here but what it would give you is the ability to preserve the differences and the unique qualities of the different methods and their unique ideas uh, whilst at the same time having an overarching narrative or an underarching narrative or at least a sense of of camaraderie or relationship between those traditions we're yeah, all going yeah. to the same place can be a little it's a little flattening and it turns out people don't have the same experience so right. it's a little bit um homogenizing but and the only way is a little bit uh well you know i guess uh it's sort of civil war isn't it it's like you know, yeah spiritual civil war which, which has happened people do tend to have a habit of exterminating each other for, for lesser reasons than that but then yeah. the middle the middle way i guess where you say, well, there's differences and there's also similarities. I like it, you know. So, but in terms of CE5, I'm not sure what the uh, protocol is, but from what I understand, most ritualistic meditation or meditation aimed towards city or aimed towards, and I'm speaking now only in terms of what I've heard or read, not from personal experience, but most ritualistic 
contacting entities, um, making, you know, spells and things of that nature, the kind of category that I think CE5 could be said to be in, um, requires high degree of concentration, high degree of highly concentrated states. So we're talking then jhanas, you know, jhana states, right, or stages yeah. of uh, absorption and samadhi, such as discussed in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, for example. Yeah. It seems, or which also can be accessed, it seems perhaps, altered states and so on. Trance states maybe would qualify as, as, a, as another access point. That, there we have TM, where you re repeat this mantra and it gets you into this kind of trance state or this perhaps this deeply concentrated state. Uh, a lot of uh, methods say, get into a highly concentrated state and then point that wieldy mind towards some task, which could be spiritual investigation, investigating the nature of reality, right? Getting enlightened, okay? Sharpen your axe and then chop down the tree of enlightenment, you know, become, uh, uh, do those things. You can do those enlightenment, you know, investigating reality meditations just as a, from a standing start. But if you get a sharp mind, then it, it goes, it goes uh, better for you. That's what people say. And I presumably, um, if you wanted to, if you had some means of meditatively contacting UFO or uh, conjuring some entity or something, then presumably, uh, or actually it is said that these states of high concentration, getting that wieldy mind, that powerful mind, um, are a useful prerequisite. Yeah. yeah. A useful, uh, useful prerequisite. What do you, what do you think are some, uh, but I don't know. I got to emphasize. I don't know. I've never used meditation to contact um, spirits or uh, yeah. UFOs or anything like that. I've never um, had those sorts of experiences. So I'm now speaking, I will say, and I think that's kind of obvious, right? We're, we're talking here. You know a lot more about this than I do. So you should really be answering your own questions. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm from, from, uh, from this conversation. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, looking for your perspective on a mindfulness thing. It's good to see perspectives from outside an echo chamber, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, part of why I have you here is because uh, it's, I, I like to have different uh, conversations with people that are not in that echo chamber sure. and you have a, a different kind of conversation going. And, and again, you're going to have different insights. Uh, you know, I can, you know, go into uh, my church and ask, you know, I know what they're going to say when I, when I go in there, but if I go into another place, they're going to have a completely different thing. It's going to open your mind in a different way. Um, to, to your listeners, I might be speculating needlessly about things that have already been resolved in their minds or have already been resolved in your community. So, so, but I think that's due to my own, uh, lack of experience and lack of expertise in the field. Um, so it might be frustrating for people to listen to me, uh, hum and ha and wonder and speculate and theorize. Well, I'm not really theorizing. I'm, you know, just talking. I guess, um, musing maybe about things that, uh, you know, your listeners probably know the answers as well. If they're ex if they're also experts or interested in in the field that you're that you're also an expert in, then a lot of what I'm saying is going to be they're just going to slap their head head like this, do a face palm. No, I don't think <laughs> that's so. okay. I'm the, I could be the uh, I could be the guest muggle. The guest. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna have to ask you uh, some tips about that beard eventually. Uh, cause that's a neglect. That's neglect easy. is the main strategy. It's just negligence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, I couldn't grow a beard like that if I wanted to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, no, I, I never tried cause I, you know, I have to work and at my job, like I got to shave and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you're a respectable person who, who has a respectable appearance. I, on the other hand, <laughs> my appearance is characterized by you know neglect. So that's what this is. <laughs> Um, well, so, for, but for people that are looking at into like mindfulness or meditation, the spiritual path, uh, what would be some advice for, for people kind of looking that in that direction? Well, yeah, I think, um, the first thing to know is that there are many, many different styles and that there are many, many different, um, views, if you want some religiously informed, some more informed from a more sort of secular point of view. Uh, etc. Uh, some of the techniques are so different that they appear to be almost diametrically opposite. So right. to look around and try different things and see, uh, get, get a taste of different kinds of meditation. Don't uh, make the mistake of trying one kind 
and thinking, oh, I don't like that, or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't interest me, because maybe another kind would, you know. So if you have that impulse, to look around, and the internet, of course, is a great resource. That's one of the things I try to do on my podcast, Guru Viking Podcast, is I interview different uh, meditation teachers and scholars and different people like that, some of whom have had very interesting lives, and so I try to present a range of people that. You could listen to a podcast like that, and not all of my guests are going to agree with each other, for example, but you, you get a, a sense of, of the range. And then just to begin to try things and follow, follow your nose, you know, do, do some uh, reading, do some research, watch some YouTube videos, try the practices. A lot of people like to download the apps and things like that, you know, yeah. come to, uh, you know, try, try, try things out and give it, a, give it a shot. I think at the beginning, anything is good. Any kind of meditation, uh, just trying it out is um, is worth doing, and seeing uh, what what you like. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that would be that would be my advice to begin with. Of course, if a person, if I was talking to somebody, I, I would I could do a lot of that work for them by asking them, "Oh, what are you interested in meditation? Uh, what, why do you why are you interested in meditation? Do you want to calm down, or do you want to discover the meaning of life, or do you want to cultivate positive states, or etc. Cetera, etc.? Cetera. What kind of uh, person they are and what what their personality is like and uh, then I could do in a sense curate for them but of course talking to an audience a general audience um, they don't have the benefit of that so I would I would say just to recognize there's many many different types and to try different things and look around and you're a great resource I think actually you know a lot about meditation it's one of your other passions you were telling me that uh, well before we went on air that even though this is a UFO podcast predominantly that your you another one of your great passions is meditation actually yes yes sir it is um yeah it's something um you know i uh i do uh it's a part of my it's part of my life right um the study of it the practice the exploration um so i you know i find it fascinating and uh you know i'd give similar advice you know you really have to try a practice out and I mean, my own thing would be like, stick with, stick with a practice for at least two weeks, unless it's just completely jarring for you just to see, because you, some of the acute effects come within, you know, a duration of time. So you, if you take a, a, a style of meditation, you do it once, you might be like, this sucks. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, you try it for two weeks and you're like, ah, I get it. You know, you have that, those initial insight experiences which you you get to understand what the meditative state is and that's that's one interesting thing of meditation is that um people are projecting often what they think meditation is supposed to be like you know rather than you know what it is and when you get there um so sometimes a lot of people are just overthinking it <laughs> in a sense um but uh um what what's something that you would leave for the listeners a word of advice you know just uh from anything anything just uh your own inclination don't listen to advice from red-headed men living on boats <laughs> That would be my advice. Well, I don't know if I have any advice in a general, a general sense, to be honest with you. It could be meditation. Uh, it could be UFOs. Yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed our conversation a lot. And, um, you know, we've talked, we talked a little before off air before about your story, which I, I expect you've told. In fact, I'm, I'm aware. I think you've told on your podcast previously. So, uh, you know, I have the benefit of that. If your listeners aren't aware of your James's story, I think it, your YouTube channel has a lot of videos detailing that. It's quite interesting, very interesting indeed. So I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. I'm sorry that I'm not more informed on the UFO uh, subject in details. Like, you know, you can cite these different studies and publish, you know, different things like that. It's amazing. But I do find the subject very fascinating, actually. And your experience is very interesting. And so it's been really good fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. And just uh, obviously for people listening, where can they find your work? uh podcast and website and everything www.guruviking.com guruviking.com or on youtube guru viking or on you know spotify and everything a podcast guru viking yeah he's on instagram and you dude you got to get your twitter going you got to get your twitter going twitter is happening bro 
Is it? I, I hear it's, it's, uh, it's uh, the seventh level of hell or something. I hear it's this really uh, it takes all your time and everyone's fighting and so on, isn't it? Uh, kind of, but I mean, it, it's I mean that all depends on you, right? So what are you give What are you giving your time to? But no, seriously, Twitter. Uh, there's a whole thing called UFO Twitter, and uh, oh, it's like nonstop. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of back and forth, but uh, it's a it's a a great place to kind of coalesce <laughs> if you can hang. I suppose it gets it can get a little wild. Yeah, well, that's is that sounds very interesting. I think you know one of the reasons I do a podcast is because I prefer asking questions than making, you know, than answering them in a way. And so I don't know on Twitter, you know, you have to say stuff, right? You have to make statements about things, hot takes. No, and you, so can, on. you can you can no, you can ask questions. Oh, you can. Oh yeah, big time, oh. dude. I and mean, that's how conversations start, right? Usually. Um, but anyways, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon, man. Yeah. Nice to meet you, James. Thank you very much. Likewise. Take care.